0: If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Isaiah 53? I want to read a small passage of Scripture, then we'll pray. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Verse eight, he was taken from prison, and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he hath made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall seal the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When I read that passage, I see all that Jesus did on one list and then I see all that I did on another list. And the list of things I did for good was nothing, but the sins that I did that he had to pay for was everything. Today, we would like to look at that finished transaction from the standpoint of a financial perspective. When you look at financial transaction and how certain it is, all of a sudden, maybe it'll help us get our arms around of how certain Jesus' finished work was for us. With that being said, what I'd like to do, and I'd ask the Lord to bless our time together as we open the Word. Would you bow with me, please? God, I'm embarrassed when I read this passage to see how much that Jesus had to do for me and how that I'm out of the way and all that He had to endure because of my sin. Lord, I pray that uh, through today I'll be able to appreciate that just a little bit more and walk in a way that's a little more thankful and grateful, and that's a little more considerate to my fellow neighbor. Lord, I pray that uh, when I do see sin in my life, even though Jesus has paid for it, I pray that I'll be strong to walk away from it, just simply not to, to snuff myself or, or thumb my nose at what Jesus did because of my sin. Lord, bless me and, 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 and hide. And um, I'm praying for myself, but I feel pretty confident this is the prayer of the whole congregation. Bless us and guide us as we uh, consider what he did for us and the love that it took for you to send your son for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at Jesus' finished work from a couple perspectives. The first one is the words that used to describe what Jesus did is bought and purchased. And when I think of those words... It's so hard for me not to look at it in terms of everyday life and see is the way I'm using it today the way they used it back then. So if I was going to go to um, a store and buy a a glass, I would walk into the store and there would be an arm's length transaction. In other words, I would give the storekeeper a dollar and that storekeeper would give me a glass, and there would be a complete exchange where the ownership has transferred. The dollar traded the, for the asset. But y'all, we are not the customer, and we are not the storekeeper. You know what we are? We're the glass. We had no say in the transaction. The customer bought the glass. He didn't say glass, would you like for me to buy you? But we were passive in that. Now, with that example, let's look at some of these references that are talking about what Jesus did on the cross for me. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 6.20. Ye are bought with a price, glorify God in your body and spirit. Why? Because they're His. Wait a second, that's my body and that's my spirit. Uh-uh. You're just a steward. He lent you your body for a period of time, but it is his, and he wants it back. And he, why does he want it back? Because he bought it. And he bought it with a price. It wasn't with your greenbacks that lose money every year. It was something more precious than that. It doesn't lose value through inflation. It wasn't stocks or bonds or precious metals It was the blood of Jesus Christ, which was more valuable than gold and silver and precious stones. That was the exchange. So what Jesus did is he exchanged and he went to the storekeeper and he said, I will give you my precious blood. In exchange for that, he got his children. And we were just as much interaction as the glass. No input whatsoever Second witness, Acts 20 and verse 28, take heed unto yourselves. Um, Paul is having a preacher's meeting here, and he gathered all the elders at Ephesus, and he gave them a lot of instruction. And in the middle of this, he's saying there in verse 28, take heed unto yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased. What was the price? With his own blood. So there is a group of people called the church that he bought, he purchased. There was an exchange and that church was just as active as the glass. And let me give you a third witness, 1 Peter 1, 18. Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So it was a financial transaction. It was an arm's length transaction. I've got a reputation of buying a car and just driving it into the ground. And sometimes I drive it so far into the ground, I just give it to an, a, a, a charity and they come and get a tow truck and haul it away. That's how far I've done it. I've done a couple of those since I've been here. But every once in a while I'll get one that's it's just before driving it into the ground and I'll give it away. And I think I've given three or four cars over my lifetime just to young men that are just getting started. But when I take that deed and I get it to them and I sign it over to them and it says purchase price, I always put $1. And I make them give me the dollar. And you go, what a tightwad. No, why do I do that? Because to have a valid contract, there has to be exchange of assets going both ways, or it is not a valid contract. See, if I, if I didn't take the dollar, and, and the young man that I gave it to went and wrecked it and got hurt a bunch of people, and they turned around and sued me, they say, well, it was yours, he just lent it to me. Uh-uh, I got the contract, and I got the dollar to prove there was an exchange. That's the way contracts work. And when Jesus Christ went and paid for your salvations and bought you, there was an exchange. It was an asset for an asset. It was his blood for your life. I want to look at a couple examples where two men were offered things for free and they said, "Uh, uh-uh, I want to pay for this. The first one is Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis 23, I'll not read this whole chapter. I'd encourage you to do it. I'm going to read a couple verses from there. But what happened was that Sarah died and he wanted to bury her. So he ended up going and he went to a person that, uh, that was in charge of a whole bunch of land. And he says, I want to purchase a burial site for my wife. And the man was so respectful. He says, Abraham, you're such an honorable man. He says, you just look at all the property we got. And he says, whatever you want, you just take it. And Abraham said, no, I want to pay full price for it. Let me read just a little bit here. Let me start at verse 11. Nay, my Lord, the field give I thee and the cave that is therein. I give it to thee. In the presence of my sons and my people, give I it to thee. Bury thy dead. Bury your wife. I don't want any. I don't want your money. Verse 12, And Abraham bowed himself before the people in the land, and he spake to Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for thy field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead." And Ephron answered Abraham, saying, "My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwi- betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore, thy did. It, it, yeah, okay, it's worth 400 shekels of silver. but I don't want your money. What's 400 shekels of silver between you and I." And Abraham says, "A lot. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Ephraim weighed to Ephra- I'm sorry, Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money, with the merchant. And he ended up paying for the field. Abraham, why were you so stubborn? Why did you insisting on paying that? Weren't you denying him an opportunity to have, opportunity to have charity? Well... He wanted to have a burial site for his wife that no one could ever question later on down the road who it belonged to. It was a gift, it was a loan, There was a misunderstanding. What he did is he paid the money, and notice he did it in front of witnesses. He got everybody around. He was trying to be as transparent as he knew how to do. Here's another case. David would not present an offering which cost him nothing. I'm in 2 Samuel 24, and the Lord told him to make an offering... And it was a very similar case. David went and sent his servants to go get some livestock. The Lord told me to make an offering, build an altar, and sacrifice this thing. And here we start reading here, verse 21. And Aruna, wherefore is my lord the king come to his, his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor to, of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from my people. And Aruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be the oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments and other instruments of the ox for wood. The Lord told David to make a sacrifice, so he goes to Aruna, and he says, I want to buy this threshing floor. I want to build an altar, and I need to get some oxen, and I want some wood, and I'm going to make the sacrifice. And the man says, take it all. I've got some good livestock, choice livestock. Here's some wood over here. Here's the threshing floor. Here's your instruments. You can borrow whatever I need. He says, I don't want anything. Just make the sacrifice. And David says, no, no. Verse 23, and these things did Aruna, as a king, give unto the king. And Aruna said to the king, The Lord, thy grace, accept thee. And the king said to Aruna, This is David speaking, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Why is David being so stiff-necked? Well, he's not. He understands that a transaction isn't a legal transaction unless assets flow both ways. That's why I always demand a dollar for the vehicle I'm giving. Jesus Christ bought you, He purchased you, and He paid the price. And notice every time you see those words used in your New and Old Testament, it's always, always, always past tense. It's never Jesus made the down payment and you make the next 17 payments and you got it. It's always Jesus paid it all, just like the song. You're bought. I know that's hard for us to comprehend in the culture we live. All right, let's go to the second aspect of it. I wanna talk about a transaction that's irreversible. Irreversible. So, let's pretend I make a deal. Let's say I buy a car. And a lot of times cars come with something called a warranty. But there's a lemon law that if the thing falls apart, you can go back to the dealer and just turn the car and say, I want my money back kind of like an escape clause or, or, or an option. You know what Jesus did? It didn't have any escape clause. It didn't have any options. It was irreversible. Well, I, I bought Richard Kemp and Emery Kemp and Dolph Painter. And he gets the goods and he says, nah, these are lemons. I want my money back. Right? You can't do that. We're bought. So let's look at the durability of these contracts these transactions. Number one is in Galatians 1-4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God. Now, what is the will of God? That no one will pluck them out of my hands. It's a contract that we cannot be lost to the world. We've been delivered from the world. Let's look at a second one. Notice what it says here. Hebrews 9.12, Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. What's the significance of once? If it had a put or an option or a reset, you'd have to do it over and over and over again. But it didn't. It was done. And then right there in Hebrews 9, there's another one, 9.26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. If it was a contract that had a reset, then he would have to do it over and over and over again. But he's saying, no, 9.26, no. But now, once in the end of the world, that he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see us keep on coming back to Isaiah 53? You see that sacrifice he's being made? Do you understand how that is secure? It's irreversible? Let's look at an example of each. Here's a transaction that was reversible or had a reset. It was called the Jubilee. Do you remember what happened in the Jubilee? In the Jubilee, if you bought a piece of property, what happened? There was a period of 50 years. Let's suppose all the families in here had the home place and there was the, uh, the, 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 the camp home place and, 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 and the hall home place and the Adams home place and, and, and one of you decided, I'm tired of being a farmer, I'm gonna sell my home place. So I'd look at the calendar and I would see the calendar and I would say, okay, the next Jubilee is 25 years. I would buy the property But guess what would happen at the end of 25 years? The money would go back to the original owners. That's the way the Jubilee worked. It's not like, okay, in 25 years you got to hit the reset button, you go back to the cross and got to be offered all over again. No, it's a permanent transaction. Okay, that's an example of a reset. Let me read that to you in Leviticus 25. In the year of of this Jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. Yo, that's not the way Jesus' purchase worked. And if thou sell aught to thy neighbor and buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years of the Jubilee, thou shalt buy. According to the number of years of the fruits, ye shall sell. So, in other words, in a Jubilee, if I bought it and there's 40 years left, you get to keep the property for 40 years. If there's only five years left, you keep the property for five years. But at that reset time, at that 50 year mark, everything went back to the original owner. That's not what happened for us when Jesus bought it, it is not going to go back to Satan. What he bought is non-refundable. This was Judas Iscariot. This is in Matthew 27. He tried to return the money. Verse 3, this is when he contracted to turn in Jesus Christ. Then Judas, which betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, saying, I have sinned and that I prayed betrayed innocent blood. And they said, sorry, no refunds. No, they said, what is that to us? In other words, that was a contract. There was no redemption on that. There was no reversibility on that one. That's a little bit more like what Jesus did for us. That's the permanence, the durability of the contract that he did for us. He's not going to ask for his money back. Let's talk about surety. We've talked a little bit about financial transactions from the standpoint of an arm's length transaction, a buy and a sell, and assets going both ways. We talked about this from the perspective of financial transaction with with it not being reversible. Let's talk about surety. What is surety? Surety is when, let's suppose, we would have a contract and it was a loan. Well, there's ways we can Create that contract to make it, to guarantee it. And three of the main ways to guarantee a contract is, first of all, is to collateralize it. Say, okay, if I don't pay this money back, you can take my car. Or if you don't take this, you know, I don't make my house payments, you can take the property. That's called a collateralized loan. That's one way we can increase the likelihood or the surety, and we put a collateral behind it. What's another way we can do it? Well, we can set up an escrow account where I can take some money and put it in this trust account over here and everything goes between bad you and I, the man can go and get the uh, funds from the trust account. There's a way, second way. But the third way you can get something and make it more secure is to get a co-signer. So if, if, if um, I, I make a loan and the bank says, nah, I don't trust your credit. I go, Emory, will you sign the loan too? He goes, yeah, I'll sign your loan. He signs it. So what happens if I default on it, guess what? They go to him and they say, okay, Dolph is a deadbeat. He says, but your name's on the contract. So those are three ways to increase the surety or the guarantee or the insurance policy of that contract. Well, Jesus Christ is our surety. Not only did he buy us, not only did he do it in a way that was irreversible, he did it in a way that it was completely collateralized. This is probably more than you ever wanted to know about this finished work of Jesus Christ. But it gets me excited to understand what all he did for us. You just dive deeper and deeper. It's kind of like, I've used this illustration before, but when the the boys were really, really small, we used to take them for walks in the woods and and we'd pick up a pine cone. Have you ever just stopped and slow looked at a pine cone? And you look at it, and you look at the rows, and it's got rows that go down, and it's got rows that go around, and then it's got swirls that go this way, and it's got squirrels that go this way, and you look at the nose down, you look at it from the top down. It's gorgeous. You take it from look from all those different perspectives. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm looking at it sideways, up and down, left and right, swirling this way, swirling the other way, from the top, from the bottom. It's gorgeous. I can't create a financial traction that purdy. But that's exactly what Jesus did when he was on the cross. So we're looking at it from that financial view. In Proverbs 22, 26, and 27, this is a, con- a concept of surety. And this is a warning. And basically what Solomon is telling his son is don't co-sign loans. It's not a good idea. Be thou... Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou has nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? So you're going to put your home and your bed at risk because of another person didn't pay. He says, that's not a very bright thing to do. If you're in a position to help, you lend them the money. So if they don't do it, you just eat the loss. But don't put yourself subject to another person's payments. You don't expose yourself that way, it's just common sense. Jeremiah 32, 14, the Lord said, "'Take the evidences of the purchase, both sealed and opened, put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days.'" You know what he did is he made sure he had all the documentation, the loan documentation, what the agreement exactly was in writing, so it couldn't be saying, no, that's not what happened or that's not what we agreed upon. It was documenting the loan. Yeah, that's really important. That's one way to secure and assure a contract. And then number three, Hebrews 7.22, Jesus was made a surety of a better testament. In other words, he was our collateral. And he was our escrow. And he was our co He did all those things for your debt when he paid them off. Well, let's look at a couple examples of those. Okay. Let me let me talk to you about the word "redeem" for a second. Redeem is a unique word. Let's talk about how we use it today's language. One way we redeem things is l- l- let's talk about. Um, let's suppose I wanted, I I needed some money. And I got in a real pinch, and I went to a pawn shop, and I took I don't know a piece of jewelry or. Of equipment or something, and I went to them, and they said, Okay, I'll lend you a hundred dollars. So I get my little ticket, and they keep my piece of jewelry or my piece of equipment, whatever I gave them. And they give me a hundred dollars, and then I come back at some period later on and I give them a hundred twenty dollars you know, that hundred dollars plus the interest. And I give them a hundred twenty dollars, and they give me my piece of equipment back. That's called redemption, yes. I've redeemed and I've purchased back my piece of jewelry or, or whatever it was. That's one kind of redemption. Let's talk about a different kind of redemption. Let's talk about one in a fast food restaurant. You ever go through a drive through And you go through the window and you say, I want a number two. And you give them the 7 $8, whatever number two is. You give them the 7 $8 and they say, okay... Thank you, you're number four. And then drive to the second window and you go to the second window and they say, okay, I'm number four. And they say, okay, here's your hamburger. That's a redemption. And God uses all those things to describe what he's done for us. We were in Hawk and he bought us and he got us out of Hawk. He said he bought us, but Jesus is going to come back waiting for the redemption of our bodies. He's going to come back just like the drive through window. He paid for us at window number one on the cross, but he's going to come back and he's going to pick us up just like window number two. That's one kind of redemption. And this is, this is an interesting case because Boaz, he's going to redeem a piece of property. He's going to redeem a woman named Ruth, and he's going to redeem a bloodline and inheritance, all in one fell swoop. So, so Boaz meets Ruth and he says, okay, I do want to marry you, but the thing is, is I don't have first dibs on you. According to Jewish law, you got to go through a hierarchy. There's a nearer kinsman than me. I think personally, it's just a guess. I think the nearer kinsman was probably his older brother. But anyway, he says, there's someone in line ahead of me, but he says, I want to buy the property and I want to buy you, and I want to continue the bloodline through you. So this is what happens in verse four. He's speaking. He goes, well. First of all, if you read one through three, this is fantastic. Bo is just again, he's just just an upfront guy. The thing is, is he goes and he waits at the city gates, and he looks for all the old timers are all sitting around, you know, whittling and telling their fish stories, being silly. Okay, and, and he's sitting there, and along comes the nearer kids. I want to talk to you. Come here. Come here. And he makes sure he does it in front of all the old timers, the elders of the city. And this is what he says. I thought to advertise to thee, talking about the property, and he says, you're first in line. And he says, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. And if thou will redeem it, redeem it. But if thou will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I'm after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. I I just like the honesty and upfrontness of this man. He says, listen, there's a piece of property, and I want it. He says, but you have first dibs on it. So if you're going to buy it, buy it. But if you're not going to buy it, tell me, because I'm going to buy it, because I want to buy it. I mean, what else could you ask? Then said Boaz... What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon this inheritance. So he's saying, you know, when you buy this piece of property, there's some strings attached. Not only do you get a piece of property, you get a wife. And not only do you get a wife, this property belongs to the Jones family. And with the Jones family is the seed that comes down will inherit it. So it won't be your other sons that will inherit it. It'll be this seed, and this is the property. And he says, I want to make sure to understand everything that's going on with this piece of property. Verse 6, and the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So the nearer kinsman says, I pass, I pass. But here's my favorite part. I think this is funny. I tried to imagine, way back then, having safes. And you know what he put in a safe? He put a shoe in there. Why would you put a shoe in a safe? This is why. You know what he's doing? He's securing the documentation. And therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, "Buy it for thee." And he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Shilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. And then he talks about the inheritance that's going to come too. So there it was, and he got the deed for the property. And with the deed, guess what he put with it? His older brother Shu. And he put that in the book. Boy, that must have been ripe a couple years later. And that's that's my silly mind going. But do you understand what he's doing? He's securing it, he's collateralizing it, he's documenting it, he's getting witnesses, he's making sure that everything is done above and above 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 board. Y'all, that's exactly what Jesus did. He went before three Jewish trials. He went before three trials of God and he went before three trials of Rome before he was offered up. In all three groups, nine trials, three from each, in all nine courts said, he's innocent. He's securing it for us. The good Samaritan, he also did a guarantee. we know that story where Jesus was talking to a a Jewish uh, scribe And the scribe was asking him a question about loving neighbors. And he said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the story of the good Samaritan. And he tells him the story of a man that got mugged. And he got beaten and he got stripped and he got tossed in a ditch. And there he is, wounded, unconscious, laying in the corner. And just people are walking by. And and a Levite walks by and a priest walks by. And here comes this Samaritan. I mean, a Samaritan is like a half-breed. He's got cooties and he's walking by. And he shows compassion on this guy. Luke 10, starting at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He gave his pledge. He co-signed. That's what Jesus did for you. He secured the transaction. He documented the transaction. He did it in front of many witnesses. And he put his collateral, his price, and he co-signed. And he promised to pay all. Now, If you go back and think of the words we read in Isaiah 53, that's what he did for you. One final observation concerning the parties. Let's go through this again. Financial transactions. God, why did you use financial transactions to describe the finished work of Jesus Christ? Because it was so permanent. And he wanted us to understand there's three parties involved in this transaction. There's the buyer, there's the seller, and then there's the asset that's being transferred. And you all are nothing more than asset being transferred. There is no way you can squeeze yourself in there. We want to, but we can't. Purchase. Ephesians 1.14 Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The earnest. How does that work? Well, let's go back to our hamburger at the fast food restaurant. You go there, you say, I want a number four or two or whatever, you, whatever your thing is. And they say, okay, here. And you give them the money. They gave you a ticket. You drive up. You go to the next window. You give them the ticket. That ticket is just The earnest you did it and you redeem the ticket and you get your asset back but it was paid in full. It's not like you paid a little bit at the first window and you go to the second and you pay a little bit more. We've got transactions like that. People do work on my home. I say 50 hey, up 50% up front and 50 when the job's percent when the job's complete. Well, yeah, we do things like that, but we never find that in your New Testament. It was always paid in full every single time. Past tense. You can purchase a book, you can purchase a house, you can purchase services, but it's all the same. It's an exchange of goods and services. You get something and you give something. Jesus got you and he gave his blood. Two-way transaction. And in each case, there was an active buyer, there was an active seller, and there was passive merchandise. That's you and I. Come on, Brother Dolph, squeeze me in there somewhere. I do. You're the merchandise. You're the glass. Redemption, Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In each case, you've got an active customer, you've got an active storekeeper, but you've got a passive asset. One more. Shorty, there was a time in the Old Testament, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember when um, um, Joseph's older brothers, 10 older brothers sold Joseph into slavery and he was at Potiphar's for a while. And then what happened was is he ended up in prison for a while and then he ended up to be the Federal Reserve Chairman of the world. And Joseph was testing his brothers and they came because there was a dearth in the land and they came with a bunch of money and they wanted to buy food because the only place in the whole country that, and the whole world that had food supply was Egypt. And they come walking up, here come the 10 boys. And they come walking up to Joseph and they say, we'd like to buy food. He recognized them, they didn't recognize him. And it was an exchange there. And Joseph's trying to figure out, are these guys really sorry or they're not? And he says, you know what, I'm number 11, but there was a 12th boy. I sure would like to see that 12th boy. He says, I'll tell you what, you come back and this time, next time you come, if you ever want any more food, you bring out the other boy. And he says, no, no, we can't do that. And he's kind of getting an insight into his brothers and the guilt that they feel. But anyway, they go back home. The 10 brothers go back home and they run out of food and the dearth is still going on. And they go to their dad, Jacob. Jacob. Jacob says, we need some more food. And he said, well, we can't go back there. He says, the only way we can go back there and get more food is if we bring our 12th brother, the 12th son. And Jacob says, no, we can't do that. And Judah says, yes, you can. I promise. I will pledge myself that if anything happens to me, him, you can kill me. Or you can take me. What he was doing is making himself collateral. And Jacob said no at first, but then he got hungry. Then he said, okay. But that's an example of a man being surety for someone else. But my point is, what's this? Who was active in transaction? Judah was active. Dad was active. But Benjamin was completely passive. Do you understand how the two parties doing all the negotiating were up here? and he's an innocent player, y'all, that's us. Yeah, that's not fair. I would rather have Jesus dickering for me than me dickering for me. You know when I say, you know, negotiating. I don't care if you're putting up collateral. I don't think, care if you're setting up an escrow account. I don't care if you're co-signing. The asset is passive. Y'all, that's us, passive. That's Passive. So I opened with Isaiah 53. Let's close with Isaiah 53. There aren't any financial terms in here, but notice how passive you and I are. Notice how active Jesus is, and notice how active God the Father is in being satisfied and accepting That's the way our salvation works. So I'm back at Isaiah 53. Let me start at verse four. I'm gonna read it one more time and then we'll be done. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, spitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at all the we's and the ours. What are the we's and the ours doing? Sinning. That's the only thing we're doing. Now look at him. Look at everything he's doing. He's the one that's active, and God is the one that's satisfied. 6. Well, I want to hear about us. <laughs> Here comes verse 6. And we, like sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's the Lord being busy. You're passive still. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. And he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked And with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Lord have mercy. And he loved us enough to send his son to do all that for us. And we were passive. And I say praise the Lord because if I was active I'd have messed it up. You're bought. You're redeemed. Irreversible transaction collateralized, documented, absolutely guaranteed, insured, and assured. May the Lord bless us. Thank you.